0: Remember what you said you return that I might live in my father's house.
1: When I said new earth, new heaven, that is new in the sense of being renewed and restored but not recreated. It's going to be the same heaven, it's going to be the same earth. But the difference is, is that it's gonna be purified. It's gonna be glorified, redeemed, and most importantly, without the devil. Christ's kingdom of righteousness, blessedness, peaceful, as opposed to its state presently, wicked, unhappiness, and universal
0: unrest. Pastor Mike will be telling you about the future today You'll be sharing what Christians will experience once Jesus has returned and evil has been banished for good. You'll be in a restored and vibrant place, free from sickness and sadness and death. You'll be with Jesus, always, with no interruption. There will be only good things, and it will last forever. But this future is only for those who have given their lives to Jesus and made Him their Lord. If that doesn't describe you, today's a great day to change that. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Peter chapter 3 as he continues his message prepared and ready.
1: Notice that word there in verse 12, hastening. That is, hastening onward the day of God. Now, we're not re- that doesn't refer to you know, changing God's timetable for his coming back, but rather being used as instruments in accomplishing the event which precedes the day of the Lord. And so when Jesus returns, listen, he expects all of us uh, that he would find us working for him. Let me give you another cross-reference in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, verses 45 and 46. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom the master made ruler over his household, to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. So listen, gang, we need to be busy. We need to be giving out that bread of life for those who are spiritually destitute, for those who haven't made a decision for Christ, for those who don't even know Christ. Listen, gang, the return of Christ is more than some study topic. It is a call to the army of God to march, to act, and evangelize. You know, there's this story that took place many years ago, actually in the late 1800s, a great missionary, a veteran missionary, to the country of India, and uh, he went home, back to Scotland, while he had been on the mission field for many years there in India. He had become sick and ill, he was in great feebleness at this time, and he was actually preparing to go home to be with the, the Lord, and once again this fellow's name is Alexander Duff. Well anyway, going back to Scotland, he appeared before the Scotch Presbyterian Assembly, and pleaded for more missionaries to be sent to India. In the midst of his appeal, he fainted, remember he was feeble-minded, he had already become sick, and was taken into another room. After physicians had worked over him for some time, he finally recovered consciousness. When he realized where he was, he said, I didn't finish my appeal. Take me back and let me finish it. But they told him he would. they could Do it only at the peril of his life. He said, I'll do it if I die. So they led the white-haired veteran back into the assembly hall. And as he appeared at the door, those present sprang to their feet as one man to greet him. And they listened in tearful and breathless silence to the grand old hero of the cross. He said, Fathers and mothers of Scotland, it is true that you have no more sons to send to India? In the form of a question, he asked with trembling voice, there is money in the bank to send them, but where are the laborers who will go into the field? When Queen Victoria calls for volunteers for her army in India, you freely give your sons and say nothing about the trying climate of that land. But when the Lord Jesus calls for volunteers, you say, we have no more sons to give. Then turning to the moderator of the assembly, he said, Mr. Moderator, if it is true that Scotland has no more sons to give to Christ for India, then although I lost my health in that land and came home to die, I will be off tomorrow and go back to the shores of the Ganges and lay my life down as a witness for Christ to let India's millions know that there is at least one Scotsman who is ready to die for them. So, why did he act so, create such a scene? Well, the answer is, he was a man with a burden. He was a man with a vision. He was someone who believed in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. So, do we really believe that he is coming soon? Well, if we do, let us commit ourselves wholly to the will and the work of the Lord that in these days of wickedness and rank unbelief, we shall become instruments of holiness and power in the hands of a mighty God. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him, that is Jesus, in peace, without spot, without blemish, and blameless. Okay, let's back up a little bit. Remember last time together, we were talking about Christ's second coming. And that's an event that encompasses the rapture of the church, the seven years of tribulation, that is when God purges the earth of evil and wickedness. It also includes the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ upon the earth, you know, it's also referred to here in chapter 3, notice in this way, in verse 10, the day of the Lord. So all of these events encompass Christ's second coming. Now, following these events, there will emerge a new heaven and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Notice we're told that by Peter there in verse 13, completely renovated, prepared for the people of God. That would be you and me. Somewhat like the Garden of Eden, in beauty and perfection. Remember when God created the physical universe, everywhere he looked, he says, it was good. And what a day, what a blessing that's going to be in that day. We can't wait till God restores the earth to its original condition. Now, when I said new earth, new heaven, that is new in the sense of being renewed and restored, but not recreated. It's going to be the same heaven, it's going to be the same earth, but the difference is, is that it's going to be purified, it's going to be glorified, redeemed, and most importantly, without the devil. Christ's kingdom of righteousness, blessedness, peaceful, as opposed to its state presently, wicked, unhappiness, and universal unrest. The new earth will be the dwelling place for the saints of God throughout eternity. You know, John, who is the recorder of the book of Revelation, refers to that kingdom, describing it for us. So I'm going to ask you to turn there with me. We're going to go through a couple of different verses here in chapter 21. So turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 5, describing that kingdom now i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away also there was no more sea there was no reason for a sea because uh, we know that three quarters of the earth's surface the sea is over it and the intention of the sea is to neutralize any pollutants but since there's not going to be any pollutants in that day when christ restores the earth It's not necessary for us to have any oceans or seas. So that's the reason why we are told also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. That's going to be our dwelling place. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, that is Jesus, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Listen, what a wonderful place that's going to be. But here's the question. Will you be there? Well, listen, not everyone will be there. In fact, we're given a list in the same chapter here in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, in verse 8, as it relates to those who won't be able to enter into that kingdom. Let's consider that list for a moment. Chapter 21, in verse 8. But the cowardly, and this is not a reference to Timothy, that kind of thing, but rather it's a cowardice, which in the last resort chooses self over Christ. You know, not willing to make that decision. A coward. Uh, not willing to embrace Christ as their Lord and Savior. In fact, that's the only sin that they're going to be judged upon. You know, what have you done with my son, Jesus Christ? That's the question that God the Father is going to ask. Well, anyway, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, that word sorcerers is literally in the Greek translated pharmakia, so it relates to those who use drugs, idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So, only those who have Christ dwelling in their hearts, who know him as their Lord and Savior, will be there and everyone else, yes, will spend eternity in hell. So, is there any uncertainty on your part? Well, make sure of your entrance. Believe on the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus himself said in John's Gospel in chapter 5, in verse 24, if we believe on that name of Jesus, we will pass from death unto life. Now, although God has given us these wonderful pictures of what the new earth is going to be like, as is recorded here first in the book of Revelation, it's impossible to get a complete understanding. Because listen, words aren't sufficient to be able to describe what that new heaven and new earth is going to be like. I mean, how do you describe something that you've never seen before? Something that you've never experienced before? Listen, it's going to be far more wonderful than we can even imagine. You know, there's this story of a little blind girl who underwent an operation to restore her sight. Well, after the operation was over, and after a period of time, the bandages were removed from over her eyes, and she turned to her mother, who was there by her bedside, and said, Mama, why didn't you tell me it was so wonderful? All of the colors how bright, how wonderful. Well, the mother replied, my precious child, I tried to tell you, but I couldn't. Listen, gang, when we get our first glimpse of the new heaven and the new earth, its exquisite beauty, we'll be asking the same question as this little girl did. As is described first in the book of Revelation, we'll turn to John, the beloved apostle, and say, John, why didn't you tell us? And he'll respond, well, I tried to, but I couldn't. Words failed me. And that's the reason why Paul tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, and verse 9, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Let me give you another cross-reference. In the book of Hebrews in chapter 4, and verse 9, there we are told there remaineth therefore a rest To the people of God. Listen, when Christ comes back and establishes kingdom, there'll be no more hardship, there'll be no more trial, it'll just be joy and rest. Listen, our present rest, yes, is a wonderful thing as it is presently. In fact, Jesus said, I will give you rest. But that rest that we're experiencing now is just a foretaste of that which we'll experience throughout all of eternity, unbroken rest, unbroken peace, in the presence of a loving God. Now, with that said, let's go back to our text and notice this marvelous hope should inspire every true believer to the fulfillment of a present responsibility. Let's go back to our text there in verse 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, all of what we just talked about, the coming again of Christ, establishing his kingdom, purging the earth, be diligent This is our responsibility to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. So if we are possessors of this blessed hope, then these facts should motivate us to faithfulness in the performance of duties that are outlined for us in the word of God. And Peter mentions a few of them right here in our text. The first of which is notice, let's go back to that text that you may be found of him in peace. So, in connection with his soon return, these impending events, there is an immediate call for us to enter into peace with God immediately. And I believe that there's a dual application of this exhortation here uh, for us. That is, we need to make peace with God. We need to stop running from God. We need to surrender our lives to God. And then secondly, we need to receive the peace God has provided through the sacrifice of His Son on the cross. Let me give you a cross reference. In the book of Colossians, in chapter 1, in verse 20, there we are told, And by Him, in context Jesus, to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Peace, that instantaneous possession of those who, who sincerely believe upon uh, Jesus. And that's the reason why in the book of Ephesians in chapter 2, in verse 14, there we are told that he is our peace. Jesus is our peace. And the more that we appropriate Jesus into our life by faith, the more we will experience that peace that only God can offer. What an important commodity, particularly in today's present world. I mean, I think of all of the restlessness, and disturbed minds, devoid of God's peace. Individuals who spend upwards of a billion dollars a year to be treated for fear. And then all of the psycho phonies who come alongside to prey upon the emotionally upset, carelessly counseling those individuals. You know, I remember an article that I read a while ago, and the article cited the case of a California husband and wife who were quarreling bitterly, and picked a psychologist from the phone book. His flashy advertisement was impressive, and they were willing to try whatever he advised, hopefully to heal their marriage relationship. Well, he told them they were sexually mismated, and suggested that they prove it to their own satisfaction by taking other partners. Well, they did that, and during the next six months, each drifted through a series of shoddy affairs under the supervision of their doctor. And as a result, the wife is in a mental institution, the husband disappeared, and the three-year-old child had to be placed in a foster home. What a sad and tragic story. And it's sad and tragic because no one told that couple about this piece that only Jesus can give. Remember, the prophet Isaiah tells us in the 26th chapter, in his book in verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you because he trusts in you. You know, here's a side note in the form of a question. Is it possible for someone to have peace with God without enjoying the peace of God? And I believe the answer to that question is yes. There are tons of Christians who have never experienced the peace of of God. Yes, they have peace with God. They've surrendered their lives. They've made a commitment. They've gone through that conversion experience, but they're not trusting God for their circumstances. You see, we have to accept his peace daily as his gift to sustain us amidst the trials of life. Listen, and here's the good news concerning this peace. There's no limit or shortage. It is possible to live stress and worry free. You know, one of my favorite uh, verses of scripture that addresses this subject of fear and worry is recorded for us in the book of Philippians in chapter four, you know, it, in verses six and seven. There we are told, be anxious or don't worry for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And I like this part. It reminds us with thanksgiving, like even in advance, as we pray unto the Lord, We know that he hears our prayers and that he's going to respond to our prayers and everything is going to be okay. So even in the midst of our prayers, we can thank him for what he's about to do before we even have any evidence that he's worked on our behalf. He goes on, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that we're talking about, which surpasses all understanding. You can't explain it in spite of, you know, in regards to everything that's going on around us. Nevertheless, we're at peace we know that everything is going to work out, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So that's our first responsibility. The second responsibility, if we possess this blessed hope that we're speaking of, we're expected to live without spot, notice here, and be blameless. Now, how do we do that? I mean, this is a pretty weighted requirement that's being laid upon us. How are we to live without spot and be uh, blameless? Well, simply allowing Jesus, after receiving Him, to live through us, producing lives that are pleasing to Him. And that's exactly how we live, blameless, just submitting to His control. Remember what we are told in the book of Ephesians. Paul tells us there in chapter 2, in verse 10, "...for we are His workmanship." created in Christ Jesus unto good works, his workmanship. In every step we take in our life's experience, we are to live victoriously. And what's the key to all of this? We need to simply be dependent upon him. So listen, as we close out this message, let me ask you a couple of questions. Is your spiritual life what it should be if Jesus were to return today, at this very moment, Are you living today as you would have him find you when he comes? Or are there these little sins and habits still in your life that would grieve him? Well, if so, this is what you need to do. Surrender. Surrender your entire self to his lordship and control. Let me lead you in a word of prayer. So join me together. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we look forward to that day when your son comes again and we are ushered into His kingdom of peace and righteousness. Father, help us to be ready when He comes, to receive us, strengthen us, to live that holy, blameless, without-spot life. And Father, we ask all of these things in the precious name of Your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and everyone said, Amen.
0: In my father's house. There's a place for me in my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my... You've been listening to In My Father's House, a ministry of Harvest Christian Fellowship with Pastor Mike Penezio. Thanks for tuning in. Throughout the book of 2 Peter, there are two obvious themes, maturity and growth. As difficult as those two things can be, they're necessary as a believer in Jesus. After all, they're stepping stones to holy living. What is holy living? It's setting yourself apart from all that is worldly and living into all that is pure and good. Jesus knew this wouldn't be easy on your own, so the Holy Spirit was given to help guide you through the growing pains. If you're wrestling with growing in the ways of Jesus, you're not alone. If you're struggling to obtain maturity as a Christian, you're not alone in that either. This life isn't easy, and the world constantly throws temptations. But lean into Jesus, cast your cares on Him, and don't give up. You can do it in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening today to In My Father's House. You can explore more of these messages by searching for In My Father's House with Mike Venezio on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to subscribe. If you're looking for a place in Midtown Manhattan to come together with others and worship Jesus, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll find directions and service times at harvestnyc.org. If this broadcast is an encouragement to you, would you consider supporting us? If so, you can do this securely on our website, harvestnyc.org. Thanks for listening today to In My Father's House.